Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Everyone, this is the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast, and uh, as always, we're very excited to have a special guest here, uh, the man who needs no introduction, obviously Jerome Russell of the uh, H.J. Russell Company. You know, obviously H.J. Russell is um, has their fingerprint all over the Atlanta skyline. So, for those who don't know, because we have some guests from around the country, which I doubt anybody won't know, but uh, what are some of the landmark projects that you guys have done? That uh, everyone would be familiar with just just as a backstory. Oh, okay. Well, on the construction side is uh, one that uh, I think has national significance is the uh, uh, African American Museum in DC. Uh-huh. Um, we were a part of that project, which is pretty phenomenal project uh, from a national level. Here in Atlanta, it goes from Mercedes Benz Stadium, one ninety one, Georgia Pacific. We were a part of the quarry, uh, tunneling that to fill up the quarry. So uh, we've been blessed. Uh, oh, Hartsfield-Jackson Airport has been a very instrumental part of the history of our company, both on the construction side and the airport concession side. So we've been blessed to have started our business here in Atlanta and, and able to be a part of the building of Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I definitely want to get into some of the other things that, that you guys are, are currently doing. But historically, you know, one thing I, I did want to mention is that uh, I know so often when, you know, the patriarch of the family builds a phenomenal business, often the children, you know, just squander it away and it's never able to proceed to the next level. What do you think you guys have been able to do in order to keep the business so vibrant and so successful, uh, even, you know, beyond the passing of your father and all the legendary work that he's done over the years? Well, we spend a lot of time around secession from G2 to G3 to G4. But I think the fundamental piece that was instrumental in the transfer from my father, who was a sole entrepreneur, to to G2, which is three of us, is the way he and my mother raised us. And I have to really give a shout out to my mother because... She was the one that really kept it together, mm-hmm. kept us humble, kept us real. And they uh, pretty much, as we were coming up, they treated all of us equally. There were never any favorites. Mm-hmm. So as, as the business has transferred to Donata Michael, myself, we've been able to mm-hmm. you know, work through it. You know, it's not easy, mm-hmm. but we're working through it because, you know, things change when you um, start, you know, bringing in spouses, you have kids and or you may have divorces. It, 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 it gets a little bit more complex mm-hmm. and it gets more complex as you go down to future generations. So you have to get more deliberate about it. So I think it starts it started with my with my mother and father having consistency, togetherness, and bringing us up as kids. Mm -hmm. Because that was off base, and we became 
adults and et cetera, and we didn't have those values to hold us together, I think it would be a little bit more difficult. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, and so often we don't see your mother as part of the story or hear of her as being part of the story. So I really appreciate you bringing that out. You know, we, the focus is always on your dad, you know. Correct. Uh, that's a very, very powerful point. So how are you doing that now going toward G3? Because um, obviously, like you said, it gets more complex. And I'm sure there's more than three grandkids, uh, you know, from from your father's perspective. So how are you guys managing that? How are you working that out? You know, my father passed in 14. So we have a very kind of rigid estate because he did a good job in creating a, what I would call to a very effective estate planning, you know, uh, by using various trusts and irrevocable trust, charitable lead, annuity trust. So it's taken us uh, several years to get our hands around Mm -hmm. all of that, to be honest with you. So we have our arms around it. We're making some moves with some, you know, selling some assets, repositioning assets, getting our foundation stood up. So, and then in, in doing all of that, we also are using um, various consultants to help us work through the the G2, G3, G4 transition. So we spend a lot of time talking through that, having meetings. Literally after this call, we Native Mike one hour and a two hour call with one of our uh, executive coaches talking about just that. You know what what what's next? What are some of the issues with G3? how we're going to put it in place. So it takes time. You know, you have to be very intentional about, you know, getting it worked out. Yeah, yeah. Now, you you just brought up something, and um, I, I want to take a little detour to address that. You mentioned about a, a coach. Do you think as, as we're talking to new entrepreneurs and they're coming along and everything else, how important do you think it is to, to have a coach in your business to uh, direct and guide you? I think it's extremely important because sometimes you know as owners mm-hmm. and kind of how we perceived we people don't really tell us what we need to hear <laughs> so i think you need that person that can have the respect and kind of let you know what's going on so it's uh, this particular person helps us with that so she, we we we've used her for a while and we are able to um, kind of reflect and it helps us think outside the box or be aware of the bubble that we're in. Yeah. Yeah. You, you bring up a point there because, um, you know, you, you talk about that bubble, you know, as a business owner myself, you tend to work in your own sphere of influence and in your own bubble. And you don't even realize oftentimes what adjustments you can make in order to be more successful, just tweaking it based on a different strategy or what someone else has seen on the outside. So uh, I appreciate you bringing that up. That's actually a very powerful point. So um, I certainly want to want to go into a, a lot about the foundation and, and what Russell is doing with Russell Cares and the rest of it. But um, before we, we pivot to that, you know, we have a lot of uh, entrepreneurs on the line, a lot of people that are looking to get into development and and real estate, you know, this is mainly individuals that have been part of REIT 
over the years, which you're, I'm sure you're familiar with. You know, what advice would you have for them as uh, new entrepreneurs in real estate, whether it's development, whether it's being a GC, whether it's in leasing or, you know, any aspect of this space that um, we've been locked out of or, or many minorities are not as prevalent in, I should say, as, as you know, around the country? Ownership of real estate is real big with me personally. I think that that is one of the ways that we have to close the wealth gap is is one starting with owning your home, okay? And as you know, African-Americans, particularly African-American businesses and African-American households have substantially 10 times less net worth than a white household or a white business. And I think on the household side, that starts with owning, you know, your home, mm-hmm. home ownership. And as you know, home ownership right now is moving to rent to uh, own homes. You know, single family homes, rentals are larger than multifamily rentals right now. Yeah. And it's being institutionalized, which means that the wealth is being transferred to wealthier people or institutions. So we need to be in real estate. We need to double down in real estate and we need to figure out how to scale black businesses in real estate all all around, both from the service side and the uh, just the hard real estate side too. Yeah, that's a very powerful point. I know that, um, you know, I, I did some statistics on this and one very simple thing that came to my mind uh, as it relates to this, is the fact that the majority of uh, black households will buy their first house in their 30s. The majority of the white household will buy theirs in their 20s. And if you figure the average person owns a house for about seven to 10 years and then they sell it, you're already behind because with the sale of that first house in their 20s, they basically have that capital down to do better in their 30s and 40s and so much further when we're actually starting 10 years behind generationally. You know, you, you do have to start early. You do have to start right away. And like you said, starting off with your own real estate is certainly the way to go. And then from there, what would you recommend as regards um, individuals trying to get started in uh, in commercial real estate? You know, I'm sure you have a lot of people coming at you saying, you know, what about this, Jerome? What about this? You know, so what, 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 is, what recommendations would you have in a broad scale about something like that? Uh, well, I think the, God, the key to real estate is really kind of understanding, you know, the vector that you want to go down Mm -hmm. is broken up. You know, you got single family real estate and then you have the commercial space, you know, which breaks up into office, multifamily, industrial, commercial, et cetera. So I believe that you have to understand what the drivers of real estate are, which is, you know, job growth. I mean, that in employment growth and population growth. So really, when you kind of reverse engineer it, having a clear understanding of where things are going and where trends are going, I think, leads you into where you need to go. And then once you kind of figure out that lane, I think you go all in in that lane and develop, you know, the expertise to take advantage of it. So I'm a I'm a firm believer you kind of got you have to have some level of specialization in real estate. And then once you kind of pick that, is it's all about finance. 
you know, debt equity, cap rates, understanding the markets. You know, one thing, one thing about real estate, you can borrow is tangible. So you can borrow 60 to 60, you know, 60, depending 60 to 80% of the amount can be borrowed. And then you, once you kind of understand the economics of it, you can back into what you need. So I think it's trends and math. Yeah. Okay. At the end of the day, trends and math. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you, you mentioned something also that I, I think definitely needs to be addressed. And you mentioned about debt and equity. I know one of your foundations or, um, you know, side organizations is focused on that. But how, how do you feel we level the playing field as it relates to uh, debt and equity? You know, it's often very challenging to get rolling in the space of commercial real estate or even single family real estate if you don't have access to capital, because that's kind of the fuel to get everything going. So, you know, you can have great ideas and everything else, but if you don't have access to capital, you're not going to make it. So what, what do you think can be done or needs to be done in order to help facilitate that? Mm. Uh, good question. Um, well, I just had a discussion with a couple of uh, large capital, institutional capital groups. They came to the center and they wanted to have this discussion about equity on the finance side. And the, the challenge right now, or, or the challenge or the gap is, is deals are so large now and they're moving at a pace like we've never seen before. Um, you got inflation going on. So it's really the concentration of the money is really becoming smaller is being concentrated with fewer people i mean we're, we're in a unprecedented wealth transfer right now in america last two years is the numbers the pandemic just has accelerated the despair, wealth disparity okay yeah. so we feel that there is this uh undercurrent beginning where we have to almost innovate a a market to scale particularly black businesses and we have to uh, come up with a different way than the traditional supply chains of, of that have been practiced before you know hey you know we're going to do x 30% we got to almost create the opportunities mm-hmm. and then we got to have got to work both strategies where we're bringing businesses up, but then once they kind of get up, we got to figure out a way to scale them. Yeah. So it's a it's it's a really interesting time. Things are moving real quick, but also if we don't move with it, you know, it's going to become more problematic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Am I making sense? Does that does it make sense? What I'm saying. <laughs> Well, I understand it being in the industry. You know, I don't, I don't know how clear it is to everyone else, but, but, but you, you make a point. I mean, it's, it is becoming a situation where the, the wealth is moving further away from the, the masses. There are more and more poor people. Uh, COVID certainly hasn't helped that, but there has to be a way to help the minority, you know, businesses to be able to participate in playing the game as well. Because you know, Jerome, there, there's plenty of money out there. There's trillions of dollars floating around. 
And it's a matter of just kind of getting into that windstorm in order to grab your share of the pie. It's often not that easy. So what about exposure and introductions and uh, things of that sort as it relates to uh, helping smaller operators kind of get going? One of the things that I think that need that we need to, uh, to, to, to happen is that we really got to do a forensic assessment of the state of businesses, particularly African-American businesses across all sectors, uh, you know, real estate being one, and really try to uh, see where the opportunities are. I know there are a lot of people getting into the real estate, you know, single family, people starting to move into commercial. We really need to figure out what, what that looks like and then figure out how to accelerate it to the opportunities, okay? For example, I use black banks, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm on the board of Citizens Trust Bank. And, you know, we've, we've doing, you know, we've done some analysis. We kind of know if you, you take all there, maybe 19 African-American owned banks in the United States. Okay. If you combine them together, I would think that the asset size may approach maybe 10 billion. Okay. That's peanuts. That's like yeah. a dot. Okay, is relates to overall banking industries when you got JP Morgan and trillion. So it's it's instant, it's really insignificant. So either there's some level of merger, some level of different movement that has to happen, or some syndicated opportunities that we go in to drive the growth to get get the asset size up. So part of this initiative that we're working on is to leverage that with the black banks. I don't know if if we'll be able to, you know, pull together an acquisition, but I think we can start working on syndicate type opportunities to grow the loan portfolio, which is loans are what are earning assets for banks. Mm -hmm. And we we have received capital from, you know, like CTB has had Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, they, they make these investments into the bank as capital. Mm-hmm. They have like, they want a preferred dividend. One is they want to be known for doing this, but it's up to, to CTB and other banks to figure out how to leverage that. Yeah. And the FDIC is about to have a capital program. So capital is there, it gets to that whole thing of scale. Mm-hmm. Got to be able to go to scale because those are that's where the opportunities are. So, especially generationally, yeah, only happens if you scale. Yeah, yeah you got to be able to scale, and we got to get the businesses ready to scale. Yeah. So let, let's talk about that a little bit because I know mm-hmm. one of your your big initiatives is Rice, the uh, Russell Innovation Center for Entrepreneurs. Yes. Uh, so tell us what that's all about. And, and how that is helping companies learn the scale. All right. When we set Rice up in 20, like 16, 2015, there was a study that we had saw that basically talked about what I said earlier about the inequality of Black businesses and Black households compared to 
white businesses and white households. And it's at that time, 2016 day, there was one tenth. Okay, so if a black house, white household had a net worth of 150 thousand, the net worth of the black household was 15,000 as an average in the city of Atlanta. Okay. And the thesis of that was that if we can create more black businesses, that's the quickest way to close the wealth wealth gap. All right. So that's the basic theory of the Russell Center is that we want to formate, we want to create and formate more black businesses. We want to create opportunities and assets to capital to create um, more black businesses. We want to be, be provide a place that if someone has a business idea, they can join and have the a, the network to do that. They can have a place of belonging. They can have the resources, et cetera. Okay. So we've been pulling that all together. You know, I have Jay Bailey has been our CEO. He has really been a phenomenal um, leader and spokesman in getting that word out. We've added more staff. I mean, I think we're up to about nine to 10 people. We're putting a learning platform system in place to kind of monitor our entrepreneurs. And then we're working on these other scale programs that haven't been announced yet that are kind of we're working in the background. So we have a, um, this year, you know, I think that we'll have a clear system that will be able to tell you the the number of entrepreneurs, their size, their challenges, their successes. And then we will take that information and continue to build off of it. The piece that I think that we have to, and I, I've been saying this for a while and it's just pulling it together is we got to do that assessment you know, we we have to own the data on black businesses. We have to be the research or think tank when it comes to that component. So we we got to first. So I think a an assessment of the state of black, probably starting with the Metro Atlanta, is one of the things that we will be pulling together this year because we got to be able to measure our um, effectiveness and the data from that we're working on is all pre-pandemic. I think the whole landscape has changed since then and um, we need to do a reassessment. Yeah, yeah, good point. So now the, the Russell Fairs or the Russell Innovation Center for Entrepreneurs, right? It's not just for real estate from what I understand, right? It could be any business, can it be real estate also or what? what yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's about business formation. You know, it could be, you know, consumer, product, it could be a logistics company, it could be a healthcare company, okay. it could be a not-for-profit. Okay. You know, Rice is a not-for-profit. We are a not-for-profit. And the other thing we're seeing is that there's so much money out there that philanthropy is looking, let's say, philanthropy and corporations, private enterprises are looking where they can deplore philanthropy philanthropic money because of the tax advantage mm-hmm. of being able to use donor advised funds and things like that. But they also are trying to, there is uh, what we're finding that rice can be is the readiness entity that can, it, that can bring in the philanthropic money, mm-hmm. but also 
have a readiness component to it that moves the entrepreneurs to scale and that there is a way that that can be measured. Think about it. Is there anything out there that, you know, you can make a donation to this organization, but is there, is there's, is there a readiness component to it that propels people forward? So that is kind of really when, when, when we start talking about what, what it can be, we're seeing that that's one of the things that are evolving is there's a lot of money out there. So you got to remember, the other thing I believe is that as all this wealth is being created and it's starting to get concentrated, is that, you know, money does not make you happy. You know, that it, you just got a lot of money, and but it's not fulfilling. So a lot of people have a lot of money, but they have no purpose. They're like, well, I got this money. What am I going to do? I, my kids are fine. So I think that there is this, that's that undercurrent that I feel is, is happening out there. Yeah. And people don't, they don't know what to do. They're looking for something that's meaningful that has an economic, social economic lift. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that one of our, um, there's a project that we're involved in in, in Jackson, Mississippi, which is uh, a new technology district that's being developed there. I'll be down there next week. And um, one of the things that's so amazing about it is that people are throwing money at this project because of the story behind it. You know, you got a, a poor black girl who grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. She becomes a, a big executive at Amazon. And now she wants to go back and give back to her community, you know, after selling a business to Amazon. And that story has just fomented into a, a big, you know, swell, if you will, of, of capital running after it. So it, it, it sounds like what you're saying is part of everything else is create that story, be part of, of rice or, or whatever you're doing, but create that story and try to tap into those philanthropic dollars that are available for what you're trying to achieve. Is that pretty much? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You know, cause we are not for profit and uh, uh, we're also looking at a, uh, a supplemental not for profit that will be complementary to rice that's, you know, you know, we're, we're analyzing it right now, you know, cause I don't want to, you know, we want to maintain the integrity of the not-for-profit, mm-hmm. but yet there's some things we can do that can be entrepreneurial and from an advocacy standpoint and still maintain that status. Yeah. So that's that's what we, we, we're analyzing that right now. Sounds good. Sounds good. So let me do this. We're going to open up for questions a little bit early today because uh, you're such a celebrity in town. So we're going to give all the people a chance to talk to you. So if you have questions, uh, put those in the chat or you can raise your virtual hand and uh, we'll get to you as, as we can uh, in the order those come in. So with, with that being said, as, as we wait for those, those uh, questions to come in, what is Russell Cares uh, and what, what's that all about and what are you doing there to help benefit the community? That's something that we kind of incubated really through our concession side of our business. And uh, it was really being driven by my daughter, Maury. Okay. And it started off that it was a community program where we just wanted to acknowledge the community and we um, 
had an uh, outing during the summer and we invited various community groups to come and celebrate the community. And then as the um, pandemic came, we moved toward food scarcity and food relief and et cetera. And it kind of evolved into that space uh, in 20 and 21. And now we're, I'm looking at a, a kind of a next evolution of what that looks like. So it's starting to align itself back in Russell Cares is, I don't think it's an entity. So we're trying to determine what we want that to be and what we want it to look like as we go forward. And it seemed like it's blended in. It's starting to blend back into the Russell Center again because of the not-for-profit status. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Kwame's got his hand up. Kwame, good to have you back with us again, man. Never seen you in a minute. So yeah, I'm excited to be back. I mean, it, I couldn't miss this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I have a question for you. I, I have questions for you. I have a lot of questions, but I'm going to ask one. Thank so, <laughs> so thank you very much, uh, Mr. Russell, for, for participating in this. This has been amazing and very enlightening. So I want to thank you, first of all. And then my question for you is about mandates. I'm a Georgia native, but I'm living and working in New York in institutional real estate. And what we've seen a lot is a lot of mandates on the part of cities doing private-public partnerships to give more access to minority developers for large-scale projects. So, you know, you've got like Port Authority that is requiring that the city of New York include a minority developer on a large-scale project with the World Trade Center. And I'm seeing it in Philadelphia. Same thing is going on in um, Washington, D.C., because we know we have the talent. You look at a group like REAP, and you can see there is the talent there, but it's the access to opportunity. Can you talk about how you feel about those mandates? Uh, do they help? And talk about what your success of your firm winning those RFPs in those cities. I mean, you guys have won some of the largest RFPs out there in the entire country. So can you talk about that? Yeah, we have looked at that. We've looked at that program there with the uh, I think it's Massport and then there's Massachusetts and then you have New York, New Jersey, Port Authority, airports, uh, things. You know, some of the stuff is by the time it gets, when we found out about it, it was already kind of cut. You know, if you when those things, those programs are being put together, it's, um, you almost have to, whoever's kind of, when it originates, let's say if there's a master developer or program manager, they have to have that ingrained early on in the process. And sometimes, uh, you know, the stuff that came to us, it was a little too, it was already baked. So it was more of a transactional, and this is just me speaking from being involved in some of it, it was a little bit more transactional and almost like, hey, we're just coming on versus it being something that that incubated up. So I think the procurement of those things almost have, we, we have to create them um, really even before there's a procurement. We have to create the ethos in them early on so it just bubbles up and it's not as transaction. I guess that's the best way I can, can put it. And I will use the stuff like we're doing in Atlanta is a lot of it's like at the airport, 
it's kind of known it's going to be that way. So early on, the deals are put together. They're, they're like looking to put the deals together. So I just think it's a, it, it's, it's a little, it came further in the process than earlier in the process. I hope no, I'm making sense. No, no, it, it makes perfect sense. So, you, so what, what I'm taking is that, you know, we need to be included from the beginning and it needs to be like a collaboration as opposed to like an add-on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, these uh, big players have to agree early on, you know, whether it's AECOM, I, I don't know all the players or the big developers, or in this case, it's like Delta, okay? I know Delta, I use one. They, they Delta had the terminal, they were the master developer, I think, of the terminal at one of them, JFK or LaGuardia, right? Yeah, yeah LaGuardia. Mm -hmm. So that discussion with Delta, it, it, it almost should have happened much earlier, okay? The, the deal was cut with someone else before all of this came up. Yeah. So. It happens a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was tough. I mean, you know, I mean, we know we know the Delta people. I mean, we could have could have put it together, but you know, they they had already cut the deals. Yeah, so I, I see that a lot of times where a, a deal is cut, it gets publicized just to kind of check the box, if you will. It almost sounds like what's going on with the NFL lawsuit right now. You know, we yeah. got to check this box, but we already know what we're going to do as it relates to getting this deal done. So, right. you know, yeah, so we, we got to, I guess it goes back to having a seat at the table, right? You know, I know yep. those things. So, Kwame, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but um, was there anything else you wanted to add or you, you're good? Okay, all right. Well, we appreciate that. Good to see you, man. And good to have you as always. All right. All right. We have uh, A. Williams had a question. Thank you for your wisdom, Mr. Russell. I would like to know if you have an internship or apprenticeship program. Yeah, we're doing it at the center. I know we're doing interns and apprenticeship programs there. We also have them here at H.J. Russell and Company. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that is in place, and it is something that we're continuously working on. Okay, all right. And just to, to mention, um, would it be safe to give out the website, russellcenter.org? Um, yeah, yeah, rcie.org. Okay, all yeah. right. All right, sounds good. Sounds good. So appreciate that. Uriah, you're always a, a vocal visitor to the podcast. Thank you for being here today. Did you want to ask your question directly? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mr. Russell, thank you. It's uh, I have a very interesting story. So I moved to Atlanta in 2011 and I lived in the intern loss for about five years as a grass or as I was going to grad school. I was fortunate to have had a number of elevator rides with your father as his floor, as his office was on the fifth floor. I lived yep. on the fifth floor. Uh, i never wow. forget the one time I left my bike in the hallway and this older gentleman came and said, whose bike is this? And I knew at that moment in time I had to get my life together. <laughs> um, but what wow. I can say is even before I, I had developed an interest in commercial real estate, just to share with them, and, and tidbits of knowledge that your father gave was phenomenal. And this is even before I knew who he was in the community and the impact that he's had on the city of Atlanta. So it's amazing to see that this come full circle. But my question was around, you know, in terms of the, the, the statement around access to philanthropy dollars 
and, and things along that nature. What, what have you seen to be some of the common qualifications or criteria that are required to, for entrepreneurs with, within the minority community, Black community specifically, to, to gain access to those dollars? What, what have you seen as some of the key criteria and qualifications? I think that is a lot of it's just being aware of who and where everyone is. So a lot of it's just being able to assess the, what I call readiness of different um, organizations and also preparing and getting these companies prepared to scale. So a lot of what we are trying to do at the center is being able to measure that as something that's, that we really are able to have a comprehensive criteria to assess the status of the entrepreneurs, whether it's their, you know, their strengths, the areas of uh, where improvements needed. A lot of times it could be legal. You know, they may just need a, a good lawyer or they may need to get their financial reporting in place. So um, it's a wide range of things that come under the readiness, okay? And it also depends on the opportunity that's out there. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, we have, we've had a couple of entrepreneurs that have got large contracts with Target, okay? All right, so what is it that you need to do? If you're doing business with Target, what do you need to be aware of? What type of facility do you need uh, from a financing standpoint? What do you, what kind of outsource providers, you know, do you need to, do you even need a warehouse? Can you outsource it to a provider? Those are all the things that um, we are trying to assist these entrepreneurs with so they can scale. And then we want to do it in a partnership with Target. So they, if they have to adapt, they will be, they're willing to adapt to that. So, I mean, it, it, it is, it is work in process. Now, don't get me wrong. We don't have, we, this is all, I mean, to, to the center is really a, we I mean, you know we are a startup. Okay. We're not a mature organization. And then there's nothing, there's nothing out there per se that we can look at the components of it. But nobody that we've seen that has, you know, has a facility for us, by us, clearly mission is to, to support Black businesses and formate. So, so a lot of this is that we're making it and, and getting it right as we do it. Um, anyway, that's, that's kind of, I hope I answered your question. <laughs> yes, sir. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. Well, fantastic. Appreciate that, as always, and that that insight. Just, just tell me this, Jerome. Obviously, uh, as you know, we we've known each other for for quite a while. Um, actually, uh, you know, missed those discussions we've had down in your office about where the markets are going and everything else. You know, those were the good old days before COVID and everything else. But you know, what do, what do you want our audience to know? You know, we've got a lot of. Uh, individuals that are really trying to get going in commercial real estate. Some are in the space, but they're not scaling. Uh, you talked about scaling quite a bit. Uh, what would be your, your pearls of wisdom that you would 
want to put on everyone today so that uh, they can, you know, scale their business and become players as, uh, as we go forward in this industry? Well, you know, I think that we're in a um, really dynamic time, and this is the time to uh, make the move. But it's also none of this is uh, guaranteed. So I first start with your overall well-being. You know, more and more I'm into this and is that you really, really your physical and mental well-being is utmost because if you if you're ailing there, there's certain level of stress or whatever it may be. You know, you know, you know we all got issues. We got to be able to prioritize those issues so just your overall well-being is is number one and then number two is whatever it is that you're in um so associate with like-minded people in that space and get out your comfort zone because that's the only way you're going to grow is by getting yourself uncomfortable and um really understand the value of what you bring in and being able to monetize that and ensure that it's bringing value. Okay. So a lot of things I'm looking at right now is uh, a perceived real, whether it's real or not, sometimes perception can be reality to people. So if you, I have a lot of uh, the perception of what we can do is much larger than what we can can do. So when someone provides an opportunity, I look at it and say, well, maybe it's not for me. It's maybe it's for me to say, hey, maybe you should look at this. Okay. So I have this belief that you have to show up. And the more you are present in the settings that you need to be present in, the more things will reveal themselves to you. And do what you say you're going to do. If you're going to support someone or if you're going to attend something, show up. Yeah. And be present, you know, and you never know who you may run into. Yeah, yeah. Very, very good point. Very good point. So, you know, just to kind of recap, because you, you brought up a lot of good things today. Um, you know, start with home ownership is, is certainly key. You know, going back to that illustration I gave, which... Um, you know, is actually just a true fact. You figure if, you know, a, a white family sells their first home and they got $100,000 in their pocket and now they're 30, 32 years old and the black family is just trying to buy their first house and they've got 15 grand and getting down payment assistance or whatever, they're going to be behind. So like you said, start with owning your own property. So you got that first, you get that cash bump. And then on top of that, if you own a business and you tie into like the Russell Center or some other thing like that, you have the capital now to fund your business to get it going, you know, and then come to an institution like yours, but now you can scale because now you're being given the talent and the exposure and the other things in order to scale. And it, it just, just can work out tremendously if, if you're willing to do that. But, um, you know, like you said, you got to get out your comfort zone because uh, sometimes the, the fundamental things don't get done at that grassroots level. And so all those other things don't happen later on as well. So... You know, appreciate you sharing that with us today. Sandra just uh, had a point on here. She wanted to ask, she said, how can we support the Russell Center? Uh, so any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, wow. Okay, well, please consider uh, being a stakeholder. I mean, we are not for profit, so any type of contribution, I think you can go through RCIE would be appreciated. Anything would be helpful. We are, we do have a process for our stakeholders. We do want to grow it, but we don't want to grow it just for the sake of growing. We want to grow it with intention. So stay engaged with it and do that. And um, that that's, that's the big thing. And just be supportive of it. And if you have a story, you know, let us know about your story and keep whatever you're doing elevated out there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, we just actually got a, another um, question coming in. Are there plans to replace the, or replicate rather, the uh, RCIE model virtually for businesses outside of Atlanta? And, uh, uh, yes. Uh, but yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Good Good question. Yes, absolutely. We we The more we are into this, the more we recognize that it's just not an Atlanta story. It's a, really a world story, really, when you get to it. We are looking to improve our um, virtual capabilities. We have a big meeting this week where the team is going to present the learning platform system. And I think that learning platform system is a very interactive program that allows people to come in and just see everything um, that's going on with the members, events, et cetera. So uh, I would go to uh, our Instagram page. Um, we're putting, trying to get our content beefed up. So I, let me see. What is I think it's RCIE. Let me see what our Instagram tag is. And Facebook tag. One second here. So, but I will put in RCIE the one second. But while you're looking for that, you might see in the chat also that the uh, RussellCenter.org forward slash get involved is a site that you can go to as well if you want to participate and get more engaged with what uh, with what they're doing down there. Yeah, it's called Rice Atlanta is our Instagram level so there's a lot of content that we're going to be putting out through that yeah go there rice atlanta or like rice r-i-c-e atlanta and please follow us yes exciting times and yeah thank you joe for um i'm thinking of me okay oh yeah man well you know i I still got to circle back to you about our um atlantic station project so you know, we got to continue that conversation, but it's always uh, good to see you and, and catch up with you. Um, you know, we don't see each other as much as I would probably like to, but, you know, that happens. Uh, we're all very busy and with COVID, you know, things have changed as well. But, uh, you know, it's, it's always good to at least keep up with, you know, the folks in the industry here locally, you know, as opposed to running into each other at events across the country. You know, as we yeah, all do. Yeah. Now, I heard the RIC event, the, the REEC event, is going to be here in Atlanta in April? Uh, yeah, there's plans for that in April. Okay. okay. All right. Well, let me know is anything I can do to assist with that or help or, you know, facilitate sessions. I, I don't know exactly how they have it, but I would love to see how I can, you know, we can be of uh, assistance here. Okay. Well, no, definitely appreciate that. Thanks mm-hmm. for putting that out there. I uh, wanted to mention also real quick for the uh, week, uh, members that are on the line here, Denise and, and Jerry will be having week talks after dark uh, this Wednesday at 2.23, which is um, February 23rd at 6.30 p.m. 
topic will be business brokerage. Uh, so look for those invites related to that. But that should be exciting as well. So uh, as always, we uh, we want to thank you all for being here today. This was morning with mornings with Joel CRE podcast, and uh, we certainly thank you for your attendance today. And uh, Jerome, of course, as always, uh, it's good to see you. Good to have you. And uh, we'll certainly uh, keep in touch. And um, congratulations on all the success and the continued expansion and giving back also to uh, other ones that are trying to grow their businesses and take it to the next level. So thank you for doing that. We really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. And I wish everyone a great week and a great year. So look and look forward to interfacing more. All right. Fantastic. All right, everyone. Take care. Take care. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.